You talking to me? Christmas season, always a big time at the movie theater, and this year is no different. A big week here in the Screening Room. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from MadWolf.com. Some good ones, some real good ones this week, some eh, and some no thank you ma'am. Not to talk about this week, but uh, yeah, it's a busy week, and we'll just start right off with one that's got a lot of star power. It's Jennifer Lawrence, and it's Chris Pratt, and it's Passengers. We boarded the Avalon with a destination. 120-year cybernation means we'll wake up in a new century on a new planet. But a year ago, everything changed. What do we do now? Do you trust me? I was cautiously optimistic about this one. Yeah, I was too. It's hard not to be right. with, with these two. And actually, the director is one we like. A guy named, Tildum. A guy named Morton Tildum, who did The Imitation Game. Mm-hmm. And he did a, a movie from a few years ago, a foreign film, that we both love called Headhunters. Yes, love uh, it. Look it up if you get a chance. And I thought at one time that that was going to get a... Uh, I'd heard it was going to get an English language remake. I don't know what's come with that, but... Getting off the, the track there, the the point is, we did have some high hopes for this, and you know what? It's a movie that has some potential, it's just never realized. You know, I, I'm not even sure I agree with that exactly. This is a movie that opens repeatedly these big philosophical existential Well, that's what I mean. Questions. It's got a yeah. chance. But then it just takes every possible easy out. It is so frustrating. It does. It does. It's uh, set up. You've probably seen the trailers by now, but there's a deep space journey that's going to take about 120 years, yep. right? It's moving about 5,000 some odd passengers from Earth to a, a base uh, called Homestead 2, where they're going to repopulate. And uh, they're put in hibernation and deep sleep, and then uh, Chris Pratt is awakened, and then Jennifer Lawrence is awakened, and they have to find out what's going on. And uh, there's a little bit of a twist there that we're not going to go into, uh, but that's where it starts to go wrong, because as you say, it does open up. Once they're awake, it opens up some questions, some philosophical questions, some some um, ethical questions, I guess, moral ambiguities. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of places they could have gone with this. And instead, it seems like they just were going wherever a focus group told them to go. Right. It's, um, I mean, it looks nice. It's pretty. It, yeah. But it is, I just, I mean, uh, I just find so much of what they decided to do just profoundly disappointing. Yeah, it becomes too much of a romance of aren't these two cute together or we're going to have them do a dance off in space and play some basketball in space and just be cute. You know, and that would be fine if they hadn't gone to the trouble of introducing these these heady concepts that they're just going to sort of scrap in favor of, yeah, a dance off. Yeah, and when so much of the film is just these two characters. Some other people do come into play a little bit later, but, you know, they do have the star power to pull it off. Now, Chris Pratt, who is incredibly likable, but he still is in that little bit of a a comfort zone where I'm Chris Pratt. Um, which it's really all he plays is Chris yeah, Pratt. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. you need to do. jump to break out of that a little bit. Jennifer Lawrence, I think, fares better. I think she's so good. She always finds at least for me, find some small ways to make whoever she's playing seem a little bit different than people she's played before. Mm-hmm. But still, what it comes back to is this script and where it's going. And it just gets too cutesy. 
Yeah, it's it's. I found it just aggravatingly disappointing. Yeah, it really takes the the pandering, as you said, the the easy way out. Mm-hmm. So, a passengers ends up being a pretty big disappointment for us. And another big one is on the radar, especially for the gamers. And we'll freely admit that's not us. But uh, it's another attempt to turn a video game into a movie success, and it's Assassin's Creed. When I saw it there, it felt real. Work in the dark to serve the light. We are assassins. And this is another one where you've got some star power, some talent at the top. So even though there's been next to no good track record for video games being taken over on the big screen, you've got Michael Fassbender, you've got Marion Cotillard right there at the top of the cast. And so you're like, wow, that is some serious, serious talent. But alas... Oh, yeah. I don't think any film in 2016 wasted more talent than Assassin's Creed. Wow. Because you don't just have Cotillard and Fassbender, right? You have Jeremy Irons, uh, Brendan Fraser, uh, Charlotte Rampling. Wow. And the director is Justin Kersall. A lot of people may not know who that is. Uh, he's he's an Australian director. A few years ago, he made Snowtown, a true, a true crime horror film that yeah. was absolutely riveting and brilliant. And then last year, he, Cotillard and Fassbender got together to do a really interesting sort of visionary reimagining of Macbeth. And you know what? We said this at the time. We talked amongst ourselves because we saw Macbeth. We liked it. It was a, an interesting reimagining. And then we heard that the three of them, the two stars and the director, were doing Assassin's Creed. And I'll tell you what, it might have started between us as a joke, but I'm starting to think that it really was a deal from whoever. Yeah, the only way they could do Macbeth is if they agreed to if do this. If they agreed to do ticket. this, because you just it got you to thinking, why, why, why are you doing this? Right. And you can see how another reimagining of Macbeth might be a tough sell to sure. get made. But then if you if they said, okay, well then you got to do this. I don't know it's that that's the truth. And I know. Fassbender is a producer on Assassin's Creed. And, uh, and uh, you know, of all the video games that could potentially transcend to the big screen, I think maybe Assassin's Creed. It's got this very rich backstory uh, is a modern day uh, death row inmate and he's kind of he's kind of whisked away from uh, from prison to this big scientific lab. Uh, where it turns out uh, the assassins and the Knights Templar have been battling each other for, you know, generations, decades, eons, and and Cal, who is played by Fassbender, his ancient, ancient ancestor was an assassin back during the Inquisition and, uh, and was the last known person to touch basically what is the apple from Eden. Mm. Well, the Knights Templar found out that this this maps to free will because it's it started disobedience it was the first time humans were disobedient to god it maps free will and if the knights templar get it then they can, can eliminate hear, free will can you hear me snoring because that's <laughs> what i'm doing i, I know now to be to be fair this is, you know, and a lot of video games are like this. They create some huge right. melodramatic, you know, moral yeah. reason. But basically, it's just a bunch of fighting. And when they are in medieval Spain, sort of parkouring their way around medieval Spain, it's often pretty cool looking. Mm-hmm. It's, it's dusty. And, and I mean, there's it's nonstop action while they're there. 
Uh, it's just that, and Kurzel is a, is a very talented director, but he consistently pulls you out of it just at the peak of the action and then takes you right back to this lab where doctors are looking on with interest. Uh, it's it's so, in an entertainment way, frustrating because mm. he, you know, he'll take this glorious dive off some peak of some, you know, right. And then, uh, and then you never see what happens because all of a sudden, blam, you're back in the mm. lab. Oh, it's just very frustrating. And the way performances are wasted, or actors are wasted, is ridiculous. And and the you know, there are so many characters; they have no depth whatsoever. Uh, and, and I mean, the story is clearly a bit convoluted <laughs> to start bit. with. Yeah. They just don't, but they don't just seem to to try, really. And it's so funny because at one point, at the very end of the film, <laughs> toward the end of the film, Fassbender just takes his shirt off I mean, you think to yourself why did he just take his shirt off that doesn't make any sense what oh because well, they're afraid we're not paying attention now oh, okay all right all right well you know earlier this year we had probably one of the worst movies of the year warcraft yeah try to oh do. my and, and this is not as bad as that no, it but is it's not. just you know they're gonna keep doing it i suppose but it's just not a good it just seems like it's such a hard thing to do when you have this much talent in your stable making this movie and they still can't bring it to a successful transition oh, yeah. from if video you can't, game. If you can't salvage a film mm. with Marion Cotillard and Michael Fassbender in it, you should just you and, should just give up. And as you said, a talented director. Oh, so yeah. another strike for the video game to a movie transition, that's Assassin's Creed. This Christmas season, you know, they weren't going to forget about the families, and they didn't. The new animated feature out this holiday is called Sing. My theater's been going through some pretty rough times lately, so what do I do? Quit? No. My next show is gonna be, drum roll please, a singing competition. Everyone in the city gets a shot at being a star on my stage. stay with me. Wow. So this is the latest one from Illumination Studios, which brought us Despicable Me. Yeah, and they the one of the of course one of the trailers before it is they want you to know Despicable Me Three <laughs> is on the way. Uh, yeah, this one, as you might guess from the title of Sing, has a lot of music in it, and it's based around a koala bear, voiced by Matthew McConaughey. Uh, so the koala bear strangely doesn't have an Australian accent. No, it has Texas. a bit of a Texas drawl, <laughs> <laughs> but that's all right. You know, it's this uh, world of animals. And uh, the koala bear has a failing theater. He's puts on, put, he has put on some shows that didn't go so well. So now he's down to his last couple of bucks, and uh, he decides to make a singing competition, a, a la American Idol type mm-hmm. of thing. And he only has $1,000 for prize money, but it gets misprinted on the flyer, and it says $100,000. So everybody comes out and wants in. And, you know, what it turns into is just an animated American Idol type of thing. Maybe a little bit of Dancing with the Stars, because there is some dancing in it. But they use all popular songs. Uh, they go back to the Beatles, and they come up through, you know, Katy Perry and Taylor Swift, and they kind of run the gamut. So you definitely hear songs that you know, but that, much like uh, they did uh, a couple of months ago with Trolls, it just comes off, it seems very pandering. It's so easy. We're just going to do this like... You watch every week on these singing competitions, The Voice or whatever, and here you're going to have some cute animals, animated animals do it, and and there you go. And it just seems like like we talked about with Passengers a little bit, just taking such the easy way out. And there's some other good uh, voice talent in this, in addition to Matthew McConaughey, you've got Reese Witherspoon and Scarlett Johansson and John C. Riley. 
and uh, Seth MacFarlane. So, you know, there's some cute stuff. It's not bad. You know, the the kids are going to probably like some of the songs and the animals are cute and they do some funny things and they do follow the main contestants home to, and they all have a bit of a backstory, you know, so you have the, the lessons, the generic lessons about families and following your dreams and all that's very fine. But this is not one to remember. It's in especially in a year like this that's been so strong in animation. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not one that really ends it on a, a high note. I mean, you know, you're out with the the family, as we said, this is such a big movie-going time that it's totally fine to take the key. You know, everybody goes, and okay, we're going to sing some songs, and then we're going to totally forget it, instantly forget it, and that's just how it is. So it's just a, just kind of a, yeah, all right, we're going to watch some animated animals sing. And that's about <laughs> it. Really nothing more than that, and that is sing. And uh, we go to another, I guess you could call it a, a bit of a family film because it has a, a real family bent to it. Uh, and it's a true life story. It's an incredible true life story. And this one is called Lion. Let's uh, start with where you're from. Calcutta. Which part? I'm adopted. I'm not really Indian. <laughs> I'm starting to remember life I'd forgotten. Are you okay? I had another family. A mother. A brother. I can still see their faces. What happened? Yeah, we're about to hit the uh, the trifecta of Golden Globe nominees. The next, yeah. the next few we're going to talk about. And Lion has a bunch of nominations. It is the true story of uh, of, of a little boy uh, in India who at five years old gets lost in a train station, basically. Uh, he's there scrounging for change and things with his brother. He falls asleep on a, in a, on a train car, and he wakes up. The train is moving at a high rate of speed. He doesn't get off for several days. Mm. So by the time this little five-year-old, he's in Calcutta, in a Calcutta train station. It is terrifying. It's a harrowing experience. And uh, the little boy who, who plays young Saru is impossibly so cute. cute. Oh, my God, he's so cute. But the upshot is and was that the boy didn't know the name of his hometown. He, he couldn't really tell anybody trying to help them where he lived and how to get didn't home. Didn't speak the language. Didn't speak the language that they that they spoke thousands of miles away. And so uh, he ended up being adopted by a, a couple that played by uh, Nicole Kidman as the mom. And then they flash ahead years later and the character is played by Dev Patel, who I think is as impressive as he's ever been. I, oh, I, I much got, more so. I got to be honest. Yeah. He's never really done a whole lot for me. And he, no, of course, he had Slumdog Millionaire. That yeah, but brought his performances to, are always so painfully earnest. A little more and they exaggerated tend, than I exactly, prefer. Exactly. But this one, he's dialed it down and he's very effective. And, uh, and so is Nicole Kidman uh, as his mother. But anyway, so the story picks up with him really being conflicted because he just keeps thinking about what pain his family must have gone through and is still going through maybe for all he knows, wondering what happened to him. So he sets about tracking, you know, tracking where he may have come from and trying to find his family. And it becomes very, very heart-wrenching and, and very effective. And uh, it's really realizing this is a true story. It's just, it's just incredible. It is. And, and uh, Nicole Kidman is really wonderful. And I think that the, particularly the scenes with, with Kidman and Dev Patel, uh, you know, I think she really elevates his performance quite mm-hmm. a bit. And it's interesting. It's a, it's a fairly 
kind of dialed down. I mean, a, a true story like this, it could just be, it could really slap you about the face and neck with sentimentality. Right. And, and I really think for the most part, they avoid doing that. Agreed. I do think once they get to the more modern times, I think they waste a little too much time on a romance that yeah. doesn't seem to really merit the amount of screen time it gets. And it also simultaneously kind of underuses Rooney Mara yeah. uh, who's a great talent yeah she plays uh, Dev Patel's uh, girlfriend and you're right they kind of take it on a side story there I guess to further illustrate how much this the pain sure. that he was holding back was affecting every relationship in his life mm-hmm. and he had to get that right before he could get the rest of his life right but I think you're right maybe it, it wastes a little bit too much time there uh, not that it's a huge huge downfall but no. I do like the fact that they didn't get too manipulative no uh, like you say which they easily could have yes, done yes absolutely but uh, it's an it's just an incredible story and it's pretty well told i think this is in limited release but if it's in your area and you like this sort of thing definitely worth checking mm-hmm, out mm-hmm. and that is called lion and a couple of the big ones coming out in most markets on christmas day are led by denzel washington's latest directorial effort and it's called fences what law is there say i got to like you none all right then. Don't you eat every day? Answer me when I talk to you. Don't you eat every day? Yeah. As long as you're in my house, you put a sir on the end of it when you talk to me. Yes, sir. You eat every day. Yes, sir. Got a roof over your head. Yes, sir. Got clothes on your back. Yes, sir. Why you think that is? Because of you. <laughs> Hell, I know it's because of me. But why do you think that is? Because you like me? Like you. I go out of here every morning. I bust my butt because I like you. You're about the biggest fool I ever saw. This is Denzel adapting an August Wilson play, and I think it's very interesting because he really makes no effort whatsoever to change it from the sound of a play. Um, The way it's it's not, I I would guess, I haven't seen the play or read the play, but the dialogue sounds like it hasn't been changed one iota. And it's really staged like a play. It is. Very close quarters and very limited sets. You can see so, so clearly how it was a play and a great play. Mm -hmm. And I think after you kind of get used to that cadence, I think, it becomes clear that that was a wise move. He, I, I think, I'm guessing that he was so moved by this play, he didn't want to dilute any bit of its power and instead concentrated on getting the best cast he could. And boy, he delivered. He did. So uh, it's a, it's a, the play won the Tony and a Pulitzer, and it had a 2010 revival starring Washington and Viola Davis, and the two of them reprised their roles for the film adaptation, and uh, you wow. just cannot imagine a stronger oh, performance. The two of them And the together. way they riff off each other yes. is, is like a master class in acting. Yes. Uh, he plays a, a garbage man. With a lot to say. He's got something to say to everybody about everything. Yes, he does. And Viola Davis is his wife. And uh, it's also populated with a great supporting cast. His best friend is played by... I, I forget the guy's name. You'd know his face. He's one of those guys that's in a lot of things, and he's just fantastic. And the supporting cast, led by a guy named Steven Henderson. You might not know the name, but you would know his face. You would. I almost guarantee it. And he plays Denzel Washington's uh, character's best friend, and he is fantastic. You've got uh, McKelty Williamson, who was Bubba Gump, Forrest Gump's friend, mm-hmm. best known, uh, is probably his best known role, who's, who plays uh, Denzel's brother. And it goes on and on, and everybody is very, very authentic yeah. in bringing this play to life. And then there's there's conflict between uh, Denzel and his sons, uh, as his one son wants to play football, and, and 
you know, Denzel's character is, like I said, he has something to say to everyone about everything. And then some family crises comes into play and it's uh it's really it's a great play you could see how it was a great play you can see how it spoke to him and that he didn't want to as i said he didn't want to dilute any of it and it it works it works as a almost like a play on screen well i think we talked about this a little bit you know uh i think that he went with some really great instincts in not opening scenes up the way you can cinematically because the film, the the core story is very much about confinement, yeah. fences, right? I mean, it's very much about being kept in one place. Well, and, and the metaphor of you build a fence either to keep something in or to keep something out. And I think I think uh, keeping the film to just three or four sh- very small locations helps to to sort of deliver that sense that that the characters have of being kind of stuck in this one place with nowhere mm-hmm. else to go and I think but it's a it's a it's a beautifully rendered film and and y- I I cannot possibly overstate Viola Davis's oh. uh, just brilliant performance she's so good the o- the only thing that did catch my eye here in the last couple of days is as this film is getting ready to be released I've seen some ads some trailers and they really they, they misrepresent you a it a little bit. They make sure they show a bunch of scenes with everybody laughing and everybody smiling. And it's not one of those movies. There are some heady issues taken taken on by this uh, by this movie. And it's not a big feel good family no, it story. It's no, not. It isn't. That's not to, that's not to say it's not worth seeing. No, it definitely is. But I think the and you know I understand marketing. They want to try to get you to go to the movie, but they're misrepresenting it a, a little bit. Right. It's not the the feel-good story of the year, but it's a great movie, and it's Fences. And that leaves, uh, I guess, the best for last. This is probably my favorite movie that I've seen this year, and I know it's high on your list as well. And it's called La La Land. It's pretty strange that we keep running into each other. Maybe it means something. I doubt it. Yeah, I don't think so. How are you going to be a revolutionary if you're such a traditionalist? You're holding on to the past, but jazz is about the future. Maybe I'm not good enough. Yes, you are. Maybe I'm not. It's like a pipe dream. This is the dream. It's conflict and it's compromise. It's very, very exciting. It's just a joy to behold. Two solid hours of smiling. It is. Right from the beginning, when he opens up with, uh, I should say, he, the writer-director, Damien Chazelle, who last did Whiplash, which is a fantastic movie, uh, based in music. That was based in jazz and jazz drumming, to be specific. This one was also based in music. It's a musical, and it is based on... And it's is centered around Sebastian Ryan Gosling, and he's a jazz pianist, a, a frustrated jazz pianist. He wants to play that old school jazz and 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 keep it with an old school vibe, and he's forced to make choices, you know, along the way as we all do, and gets uh, and has to cut corners, I guess, in 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 his dream, and and that's what this movie's about: dreams and dreamers. Mm-hmm. And uh, the movie opens with a fantastic song and dance number in a traffic jam on the streets of LA and it's shot it's so cleverly shot to resemble one long take yes it's not but it's so cleverly edited that you're just yeah like you're smiling you're transfixed from the beginning and uh, Sebastian our uh, piano player soon meets Mia 
a struggling actress in L.A., uh, played by Emma Stone, and then they're instantly the cutest couple in town. <laughs> and you follow their dreams and the sacrifices they have to make and their young love, and then there's songs and there's dancing, and it's all about nostalgia, but as Sebastian, the character, says... You know, it, this is hard. It's it's hard to do, but that's the point. Mm-hmm. You know, he he wants to. These characters want to be true to their hearts and follow their dreams and not let the roadblocks get them down. And uh, you know, there's there's just throwbacks to old everything everywhere. Right. And the, whatever street they're walking down there's a picture of some old hollywood star mm-hmm. behind them everything mm-hmm. is bathed in gorgeous color oh the the use of color in this film oh. is so spectacular and and great music and by the way ryan gosling did his uh, does his own piano playing very impressive very impressive and the music is catchy it is and the dancing is so you know is so cute and they're you know they're flying around in these fantasy sequences and it's just it is it's just a joy from start to finish if you're in a bad mood i defy you to be in a bad mood <laughs> when you come out of this movie and but you know what you know lest you think it's some some light piece of confection it really isn't it's a very thoughtful very intelligent um sometimes bittersweet mm-hmm. look at at that life yeah. the life of following your dreams yeah and the thing about it is you as you're enjoying it, or maybe after when you think about it, you think about how many ways this could have gone wrong. Mm-hmm. Because when you wear your heart on your sleeve so clearly like this, you're setting yourself up for a big failure. Yeah. And in fact, you can ask Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling, because a few years ago, they were in a movie called Gangster Squad that tried to do something similar and be an old-time kind of gangster movie, and it was a flaming disaster. It was horrible. It was so bad, so bad. I, I guess an ambitious failure, I suppose, mm-hmm. but uh, this one gets it all right. I mean, almost every tactical choice Damien Chazelle does pays off. Mm-hmm. He has a cinemascope. It's, it's um, framed in that cinemascope, so it looks like a old-school, old school, everything just conveys the message that he is bringing, and and even though, as I said, it's it's based around music, as Whiplash was, mm-hmm. Whiplash was so effective because of its cynicism. Yeah. And its almost suspense in mm-hmm. what was going to happen mm-hmm. to this kid who was trying to be a great drummer. This has no cynicism. No. It's not jaded in any way. It's just like I said. But you know what? It's clear-eyed. It is clear-eyed. You know, it is not one, it's not a sentimental romance. No. I mean, it's a clear-eyed film, and, and, and I applaud Giselle for that. But it's, like I said, it's heart on its sleeve, and it's, yes, we love this, and we're dreaming big, and we're mm-hmm. we're just going to go and, and, and go attack it with everything we have, and you know, make fun of us if you want to. Right. And it just comes out to be such a, a, a soaring, uplifting experience that is, yeah, for me, it was just like two hours of, of joy. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is. It's, uh, it's, it's got to be a front runner in many categories, I think, once the Oscars, for the Oscars come I would, out. I, mean, I would definitely Director think so. and film. And Emma I think Stone. Emma Stone is, uh, she, I, for me, Ryan Gosling is great, don't mm-hmm. get me wrong, but for me, she carries the movie. I think as much... As this film has going for it in almost every aspect, it still rises and falls on her character, Mm -hmm. and she just nails it. Yeah.
It's a it's going to be a tough year for best actress. This is probably it is. this is probably the best year for best actress that I can remember to be honest with you, but I got to think she's still one of the front runners. I think so too. It's 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 funny. Every year it changes. What you know, is the yep. most crowded category? Mm-hmm. Uh, and this year I think you're right. It's best best actress for sure and she has got to be at the top at least in my book, uh, at least in my book and so is that movie La La Land, one of the best of the year. Uh, and that one comes out on Christmas Day along with Fences. So uh, let us know what you think of these. If you've seen any or if you're planning on seeing them, what you think, let us know. We love to talk about these, as you can tell. <laughs> uh, best way to keep the conversation going with us is on Twitter. It's at MadWolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F, or uh, Mad Wolf Columbus on Facebook. And a couple of um, items, a couple of titles of note out on DVD and streaming this week as well. Yeah, speaking of Denzel, uh, Magnificent Seven comes out. And and it's funny, I don't think it's going to be everybody's cup of tea. It's it's very much a Western. Uh, it's, not, uh, it's not real sentimental as the previous efforts had been. It's an action film mm-hmm. uh, directed by Anton Fuqua, who is very good with directing action. So it's, uh, you know, don't expect it to be one that makes a hugely lasting impression, but I felt like like it was a fun piece of action. I did too. I thought it was totally fine. Not mm-hmm. great, Mm-mm. but I thought it was a fun piece of action. And another one that uh, I think is, I've seen it wind up on a few critics' best of list uh, for this year, and that is the Clint Eastwood, Tom Hanks, uh, Sully, which tells the story, of course, of Captain Sullenberger uh, and the miracle on the Hudson. Yep. And this is another one of those, you know, Clint Eastwood has directed so many movies, sometimes it seems like He's more invested in some than others. Mm -hmm. Uh, And boy, he's invested in this one. And especially the way he frames the actual miracle on the Hudson can be breathtaking. Mm -hmm. It really can. And and Tom Hanks, of course. Effortless. He's effortlessly good. Mm -hmm. And it's really, really solid. Uh, I don't think it's up there with my top of the year, but it's definitely worth seeing. Uh, And your mom loved it. (laughs) Yeah, she definitely did. (laughs) This is one, though, I would say that it it is better on the big screen. Mm. It is because Mm -hmm. of the the way he frames the uh, the actual landing uh, and the uh, the mishap. But, uh, you know, if it's the only way you can see it is on DVD or streaming on a, on a smaller screen, it's definitely worth it. But if for some reason it's still out there in the theaters, be sure to take advantage of that uh, if you can. And that's Magnificent Seven and Sully, the two out on video this week. So crowded. Crowded. Crowded this week. Lots to choose from. So uh, if you've got the family in town, as a lot of people do, even on Christmas Day, which this year is a Sunday, right. kind of a kind of a strange day to have movies opening but when it's when it's christmas you're gonna do it yeah it's one of the biggest movie days of the year exactly exactly so uh, definitely a lot to choose from and since it is the end of the year time to make lists next week we'll be counting down our top 10 movies from 2016 that'll be fun it will be fun we're gonna have to argue about that we are gonna have to argue (laughs) a little bit (laughs) Uh, we do we have a lot of the same movies just not in the the same same, spots so interesting so uh, we'll look forward to that until next week i'm george wolf i'm hope mad and this is the screening room podcast A presentation of the Columbus Radio Group and MadWolf.com. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner.